Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 24 this morning. I heard a true story years ago about a young woman who attended church. She wasn't a believer. And this was a small country church that was very traditional. And she was wearing short shorts. And you know that probably didn't go over well with this church. So the preacher got up to preach. And as he was preaching, he's, he goes into the gospel And he looks at this woman, she's on the front row, and she is visibly, visibly impacted by the message of the gospel. And after the sermon and after the service was over, this young woman comes and stands in line and talks to the preacher and says, that was a wonderful sermon, I will be back next week. And so this this pastor is overjoyed thinking that the gospel is having an impact. And after the service, after this woman left, the deacons of the church come to talk to the pastor, and they say, that will never happen again. And he says, what are you talking about? And it says, that woman and what she was wearing, she will, we will not let her come back to church. And the pastor said, if, if that happens, I will resign. I don't know what happened after that. I don't, I don't know the rest. I can get the end of the story. You can tell me it later. But the main thing is, what were the deacons thinking? What were they thinking? This young woman came to church to hear the gospel, and all they were thinking about is their own righteousness and being contaminated by this woman or the church being contaminated. Instead, they should have sought after the heart of their pastor or the heart of their heavenly father who loves the lost and sent his son to seek and to save that which is lost. Today we're going to look at this chapter in Luke And we're going to see God's love for his lost sheep. So let's look at this chapter. This is God's word. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you? If he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not lead the ninety-nine in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into the distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomachs with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up. And go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, my, and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slave, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring out the fattened calf, kill it, and let us celebrate. Eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This chapter, as you've just seen, has three closely related parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, and as we know it, the prodigal son. And each of these parables has three things in common with each other. Something is lost, then it is found, then there's a celebration because of the fine. And God is trying to give us an important message that is near and dear to his heart through these parables. And the message is this, that irreligious people matter to God. Irreligious people matter to God. Look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. You know, there should have been much rejoicing. The scribes and the Pharisees should have been ecstatic, right? 
that all these sinners were coming to hear Jesus and hear the message of the gospel, but they weren't ecstatic, were they? Look at verse 2. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You hear that? He's saying he's despicable. They were showing their hatred for Christ. And they didn't care about the sinners. All they cared about was their own self-righteousness. You know, it reminds me of a man that was swimming along the ocean. He was out about 100 yards in the morning, exercising, swimming along. There was only one man on the beach, one sunbather. So he's swimming back and forth, and then he gets a cramp. And he, and he starts drowning, and he starts screaming, Help me, help me, I'm drowning! And you know what the sunbather does? Ignores him. Even though he's a good swimmer, he ignores him. So the man drowns. And later the drowning family, the drowning victim's family, sues the sunbather. And you know what the court said? The court's decision was the sunbather was not responsible for the swimmer. Not responsible. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage remind me of this sunbather. They sit there in their self-righteousness as these tax gatherers and sinners are only one breath away from being in hell. They sit there and they don't lift a finger to help those who are perishing before their eyes. Why were the Pharisees like this? Why were they like this? Well, the Pharisees were a small group of individuals, about 6,000 of them in the day of Christ. And each member, um, their objective was to live in the strictest way manner, in manner, all the ordinances of Levitical purity. That meant that for an ambitious member, they would strive to make the fourth degree of Levitical purity, which meant separating themselves from all that was profane. So for a Pharisee to associate with a tax collector or a sinner was contaminating And to eat with one was just out of the question. That was outrageous. There's no way they were going to do that. Why? Because they wouldn't get to their objective, which was separation from all that was profane. So thus, these Pharisees spent a majority of their time focused on what? Themselves and their own self-righteousness. And they were blind And they were blind to themselves being lost and others around them being lost. So what was the root problem? What was the root problem for the Pharisees? It was a foundational problem. It was a foundational problem. The Pharisees didn't understand that the righteousness that God requires for individuals is a righteousness that is not their own. It's an alien righteousness 
that cannot be achieved by their own striving. It's a righteousness that God gives to men and does not require of men. And he gives it to men by faith in Christ. Amazing. Amazing grace, isn't it? That God would give us his son's righteousness. That's why Jesus came, right? He had to live a perfect life because we couldn't do it. As Andrew was saying, none of us could do it. In fact, we sang a song two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago, Easter? Yeah, one week ago. Two weeks ago. (laughs) We sang a song, He is worthy. He is the only one worthy to go before God. And He did that for us so that we could go before God. He gives us a righteousness that we cannot acquire, and He gives it to us by faith. And He gives us the forgiveness of sins. Amazing grace. But these Pharisees didn't understand that. So they were arrogant, and they were haughty, and they looked down on others because they thought they were better than others. But you know what? I don't think these parables are here just for the Pharisees. I think these parables are here for us, too, because each one of us has a little bit of Pharisee, a little bit of self-righteousness left in us. Listen to what George Whitfield said. He says, whoever is acquainted with the nature of mankind in general or the propensity of his own heart in particular must acknowledge that self-righteousness is the last idol that is rooted out of the heart. That is rooted out of the heart. We many times fall into this self-righteous pattern and we do it innocently. I remember when I first became a Christian in the Air Force, um, I prayed to receive Christ and then I stopped hanging around with all my friends. You know, and I did that for a long time. And, and I did it for a reason. Because before, I was hanging around with them, and I was doing a lot of sinful stuff. So I started reading God's Word and and being by myself and and growing and all that. But you know what? After about six months, I started being convicted that I needed to hang around with my old friends. So I remember one day, I went to lunch, and I was in the cafeteria, and I saw my supply sergeant. I I hardly knew him. I just knew his name. And he was sitting there by himself. So I went over and sat next to him. And I started a conversation. How are you doing? In fact, I I texted him last week, and he texted me back. And I said, do you know this lunch that we had was 42 years ago? (laughs) Cannot believe it. 42 years. (laughs) Unbelievable. But I talked to him and I asked him, where do you go to church? And he said, I go to the Catholic church right off the base. And I said, really? I said, that's cool. Because I I used to be Episcopalian. And Episcopalians and Catholic are very close together. They believe the same thing. And And then I asked him, I said, what does your church teach you? How do you get to heaven? And his interpretation was, you get to heaven by being good enough. And I said, Well, you know what? I used to believe the same thing. I used to believe the same thing. And then I gave him the gospel. And 
you know, I'd given the gospel. I had only been a Christian about less than a year. And I'd given the gospel a few times before that, never seen any fruit. But this guy, two days later, came to my room, and he believed. He believed the gospel. And I'll tell you what, I was so excited. I was so pumped up, you know, like this. I'm, celebration! Here I was, less than a year as a Christian. I was 19 years old. I didn't know the difference between substitutionary atonement, transubstantiation, the ordo salutis. I didn't know if I was pre-mill, post-mill, or pan-mill. It all pan out in the end, right? I didn't know any of that. All I knew was what Jesus did for me, and God helped me with the rest. You know, I just told my story to him. Just think if I would have kept hanging with myself, or just hanging around with the other sheep. I wouldn't have had that opportunity with my friend. I wouldn't have gotten that text last week from him. You know, and I wouldn't have a friend that will be a friend for the rest of eternity. Is that amazing? And God just allowed me to take part in His work. You know, we are His workmanship created for good works, which what? He prepared beforehand for us to do. And even in that, it's all of grace. And even in what we're going to get rewarded with, it's all of grace. Because you know what? We don't do any, like Andrew said, thanks Andrew, uh, we don't do anything perfectly. Right? We need to have the heart of God that's displayed in this passage by knowing that irreligious people matter to Him. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11 through 11, summarized is be in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. That means be with non-Christians, love them, be their neighbor, uh, do things with them, but don't take on their sin. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, become all things to all men so that I may win some. You know, he kept the ceremonial law for the Jews. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do the ceremonial law, but he did it. Why? So he could hang out with the Jews. And so he could give the gospel. You know what else he did? He ate meat sacrificed to idols. He didn't even believe in idols. He, he, he ate meat so he could get the gospel to the Gentiles. Right? And all of this is a part of pursuing God. Wanting to become more like Him. Wanting to become more like Christ. And, and how is Christ known? He's known as a friend to sinners. You know, he, he was known as a friend to sinners so much that they said he was a glutton and a drunkard. Which was not true, of course. So, because we want to be like him, then look at verse 4. Then we want to make an all-out search for the lost. Look at what it says. What man among you, if he, is if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Jesus uses a, a, a cultural illustration which everybody understood in that day, a shepherd and his sheep, and he asked an obvious question. What if you lose one sheep? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go out and find it, Right? 
You're going to leave the 99. Hopefully you get another shepherd to watch the 99 so they all stay together. right? And then you go out and you find the one. Why? Because that shepherd loves his sheep. He knows them by name. He knows every one of them, right? And he doesn't want to lose a one because he loves them. And when he finds them, when he finds them, what's he do? He brings them back. And he rejoices with all his friends because he's found that one that was lost. And that leads to the celebration comes when the lost are found. The celebration comes when the lost are found. I remember about 12 years ago, I was out in my backyard, and I was fertilizing. And I didn't have a fertilizer, I don't know why. I had a half an acre, and I'm carrying a bucket around, throwing fertilizer. You ever done that before? Throwing fertilizer, the old-fashioned way. And, and so I did that for a half an acre. You know, it took me probably an hour. And then I finally went in the house, did some other stuff, uh, was working all day long. And then at the end of the day, I looked down at my finger. Now I can't get it off. And this was gone. Had this thing on for 24 years. Never took it off. Back then, my knuckles didn't swell. Now I do. <laughs> but didn't take it off. So when I looked down at my finger and I saw that ring was gone, I was in shock. I was like going, oh my goodness, what, what happened? Where, where'd it go? So I'm sitting there searching all over the house looking for this ring. And, and finally, I thought to myself, I said, let's, let's retrace the day. So I go through step by step the whole day. And I, I thought, oh, maybe because I was throwing with this hand, right, the fertilizer. So I said, maybe it's out in the field. So I went out there and marched back and forth, did a grid pattern, you know, every, every two feet and all that stuff, through the whole half an acre and did not find it. And so I was bummed out, and I don't know how long I took to tell Denise, but um, I was bummed out. And then after about a week and a half, two weeks, I had lunch with somebody, and they said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get a metal detector. And I have one. You can borrow it. I said, Cool. So I go out there on this half acre, Emily's by my side, we're going back and forth doing a grid pattern, and we were three quarters of the way, and I'm praying, Lord, please, and, and three quarters of the way over this field, and I'm losing, I'm, I'm losing hope thinking, we're not going to find this thing. And as I'm going along, I look down, and right before the metal detector goes over it, I see the ring. I was like, ecstatic. Emily was ecstatic. You know, now it's 36 years this thing has been on my finger. But I was overjoyed. And that's what these passages, that's what these parables are all pointing to. The joy, the joy of the shepherd bringing home the sheep. The joy of the woman finding the coin. And finally, the ultimate joy of the father seeing his prodigal son off in the distance coming home. And you know what? That father doesn't even wait for a word from his son. He runs, which is totally out of character for the culture. The father runs to the son. 
He embraces the Son before He utters a word. He kisses the Son. And then the Son blurts out, God, Father, I've sinned, I've done all... And He's hardly even listening, right? He's already saying, let's throw a party. Because my Son was dead and now He's alive. He was lost and now He is found. That is the celebration. You know, what is the point of all this? God celebrates in heaven over every sinner. And the angels celebrate. Can you imagine that? There's a party. There's a celebration in heaven for every sinner that repents. So shouldn't the Pharisees and the scribes be celebrating too? Shouldn't shouldn't we be celebrating too? Zephaniah 3.17 speaks about the joy of God over the salvation of the lost. I love the song. We could do that. Uh, Zephaniah, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine that? God rejoicing over His people with singing. That's amazing. God rejoices over the salvation of His lost sheep because that which was lost was found. And he is greatly glorified in the work. How is he glorified? Because the plan of redemption was accomplished by his son. And this displays the wonders of his grace. Think about that. We deserve nothing. What we deserve is hell. And he has given us his grace and mercy. It displays his wisdom. It displays his love and his power to be able to snatch us from the hands of the enemy. And it glorifies him and brings joy to the Father and joy to us. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Is it buying a new car? Getting a raise? Getting a promotion? Seeing your candidate win the election, buying a new toy like a boat or a pool, seeing your Super Bowl team win, I won't see that for a long time, seeing your college team win the national championship. These things are fine, but they only bring temporal happiness. You know, because new cars get dense, raises are spent, promotions don't fulfill, toys get broken, Super Bowl teams lose, and their players are sold as free agents. The only joy that lasts, listen to this, the only joy that lasts is only the things that are dependent upon eternal things. The only joy that lasts is dependent upon something eternal. Back in September 1984, that was a long time ago, I was walking to statistics class, carrying my statistics book, and I was late to class. It was the first day of class, and I was late to class, and I saw this 
curly-haired young woman in front of me carrying a statistics book. And so I thought of a great one-liner, and I said, late to class, huh? And that did it for her. <laughs> she smiled at me, and I melted. And uh, we were together ever since then. And, and a few times after that, we got in discussions about uh, church and things like that and found out that she didn't understand the gospel. So we went through the gospel for weeks after weeks after weeks after weeks. And I was praying night and day. And three months later, I get a call. December 27, 1984. Denise prayed to receive Christ. And I was ecstatic. And that's what this passage is talking about. It, it, the joy that lasts and is not dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is. Joy is not. It's when you are used by God to bring another person to Christ. That is the joy that will last for all eternity. All eternity. In closing, when I was a youth pastor back many moons ago, I had a young kid in my youth group. He, he would come on Wednesday nights, and he would come every Wednesday during football season complaining. And he'd complain about football practice. He'd complain how hard it is. He'd complain about how sore he was. He'd complain about this, that, you know, left and right. And, and so after about three or four weeks of this, I got tired of it, and I just said, come here, by himself. And I just said, look, when I was in high school, I was in ninth grade, I would have given my right arm to play football. I was only 5'3 and 120 pounds. I would have been killed. There were some players on our high school team that went to the pros. Um, I would have been killed. I think it was Bomb Howard was. He played for the Dolphins. Um, so this kid, you know, he, I said, you don't have to play football. You get to play football. And there's a big difference. You know what? We get to give the gospel. We get to take part in what God's doing in this world. What a joy to be able to take part in what God's doing in another person's life and to see them changed for all eternity. You know what? And the way to do that is you got to get the heart of the Father and pray and ask God, give me, give me that heart. Give me that heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for you opening up our eyes, that you giving us grace and mercy so that we can understand the truth of the gospel. And Lord, help us to go out and to seek those that are lost. And Lord, guide us and direct us and open doors for us so that we can share the gospel. Help us to be daily communicating and asking you to open doors. And then give us boldness, Lord, to proclaim the gospel to our unbelieving friends. Lord, thank you for 
um, the privilege to be able to do that. That it's not an obligation, that it's a privilege, that it's an opportunity. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, which enables us to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.